Welcome. This is episode number 81 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Every Monday morning, you can catch new episodes at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. We bring you the latest, the greatest in internet marketing every week. We go through all the blogs, the email newsletters, Shake the Twitter feeds, the Facebook, everything. Yeah, we, <laughs> we have to sift through a lot of BS out there in wow. the internet marketing yeah. community to find you the stuff that actually matters and that can help impact your bottom line, I guess is the way you could put it, maybe. We also do it with no ads, no sponsors. This week's episode sponsored by nobody. That's right. Just the bearded marketers coming straight at you. I guess if you could say we had a sponsor, maybe it was Gosling's ginger beer. That's true. Uh, and Gosling's you drink it every week. <laughs> Speaking of drinking, what are you drinking this week? Today, mixing it up a bit, Oban 14 Scotch. Holy what about you? That is damn fancy. I will say this. <laughs> to keep, try to keep up with you, I don't think I'm quite there, but I'm going to try another old-fashioned. I think I did this last week. Okay. But the difference is the bourbon. I th- I'm really on a bourbon kick right now. Okay. I'm doing Michter's Small Batch Bourbon okay. right now. Moving away from Knob Creek, trying some other things. I like Knob Creek better, personally. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a little harsher. I like it. It's got mm, a little spiciness little bite to it. Good. Yeah. I love it. All Speaking right. of goslings, uh, one thing I did learn, did not know this, apparently official Dark and Stormies, you're supposed to put a little bit of nutmeg on them. Lies. Did not know no, that. No, that's not true. <laughs> Too fruity. Where did you get that from? <laughs> People in Vermont. <laughs> that's bullshit. It's from like the Bahamas or something. I don't know. I don't They're care weird what they up, say there. up there. <laughs> Great trees, though. Turning of the leaves. Never seen that before. Wow. Where does that nice. come from? Does it come from there? Is that why they came up with that rule? Oh, no. I was just talking with someone oh, okay. up there. They're liars. We were talking about skiing. Anyways, let's go ahead and get started. Enough jibber jabber. Let's go through the topics. Kicking things off, click-through rates on search engine results pages. What's the latest data and how do you need to benchmark yourself? Next, Facebook ad network launches. Wait, Facebook's always had ads. Ah, but there's been some changes. Changes. <laughs> Next, we're going to be talking about attention minutes versus cost per impression. Next, we're going to get into link building strategies. And then lastly, it would not be an episode if we didn't check in with our overlords and Mountain View. What is Google up to? What do we need to be excited about and scared about? So Rob, kick us off. Click through rates. Search engine result page. What do we need to know about how we are performing in search engines? And are we failing or are we succeeding? Uh, we're succeeding. Well, obviously. We yeah, obviously. That's why we have a podcast. Yeah. So I wanted to bring up this topic of click-through rates and search engine results pages uh, because number one, it's something that a lot of people don't necessarily consider. But number two, there's obviously been a ton of changes in the search engine result pages lately. I mean, Google pulls in maps, you know, you local always talk results. about PLAs, product mm-hmm. listing ads, ads are all over the place, local stuff. I mean, one of the things we'll get into later on, this is actually a, giving a little bit of secret away for the Google corner. They're yeah. also using quick answer a lot more. So when you start searching for asking something in particular, more and more Google's actually returning their own answer for that question. So yeah. you're right. Search engine results pages are always in flux and changing. So you have to ask the question of, you know, what does it mean to have the number one position? What percentage of that traffic am I actually getting? How much does that change if I have the number two or number three or number four position, obviously continuing to go down? Is it worth spending a ton more money to maybe jump from number five to number one? 
the second page to the first? What are the, all the differences? So I wanted to quickly run through some recent stats from a recent study, again, because all of this stuff changes. And I wanted to maybe get your thoughts on how you felt about some of these things and some people's approaches. So I want to play a game. We haven't done this in a while. Hopefully you lose terribly. But I'll give you a couple of ranges for what you think. Oh, you're probably pulling uh, no, up the not, article right now, you yeah, son of a yeah, bitch. <laughs> I was starting to, and I was like, oh, wait, we're playing a game. Okay. So. All right. The number one position in Google, organically ranked, obviously not ads. We're not, we're not talking about those right now. Okay. For desktop users, so we're not going to include mobile users here. So get your mind set correctly. Okay. What would you say the average click-through rate is for the number one position? I'll give you four ranges. We're going to start at so 28 to 29. 30 to 31, oh, man, 32 long. to 33, 34 to 35. There is a very exact number, but I'll just, as long as you get close, okay. I'll give it to you. I'm going to take the high end, 34 through 35. And you're wrong. Yes. yes. I knew you would be wrong, and that's why I did that. So great. So the number one position on average gets a 31.24% click-through rate. Okay to set the sort of frame. So roughly a third. And I mm-hmm. think it's been that way for kind of for a while. while. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't look up the past stats, but in my mind, that's what I always sort of thought was the click-through rate for the first position. So let's move on to the second position, 14.04% click-through rate. So there is a huge drop mm-hmm. off, obviously, right there. But then from then on out, the drops are not as severe. So number three is 9.85% click-through rate. Number four is 697 Five is 5.50. And then from there, they sort of really trail off. I mean, you actually have decent click-through rates on the second page compared to five, position five. I do remember in the past, and they don't break this down, unfortunately, they categorize positions six to 10 as having a click-through rate of 3.73%. But I remember in the past that the number 10 position actually had a slightly higher click-through rate than hmm. say six, seven, eight, and nine, because it was at the bottom Uh, Right before people were about to click that button to the next page. I don't know if that's changed or not. But those are some interesting things to keep in mind, especially when you sort of are trying to calculate spend on SEO and how much do we invest in trying to rank a little bit higher for keywords that get us a ton of traffic. If we're already at number five, is it worth investing a bunch? If we know we can't hit number one, you know, is it worth investing a ton of money to just get a few extra percentage points increase in click-through rate? Maybe not. So Mm -hmm. those are some things to consider. Obviously, I'm going to tweet this thing out. Just to clarify on the study that Rob just covered and quizzed me on, which I failed horribly, the sample size for these numbers is 465,000 keywords across 5,000 websites. So it's a huge data set because my concern would be, you know, reviewing some of this. Well, they're really taking just a subset of data that maybe isn't applicable to many sites. So just be aware that this is a large study. So data to keep in mind. Well, I think to your question, and really when we start looking at studies like this, one of the things that people need to consider is click-through rate versus conversion rate in that, yes, traffic is great and obviously the lifeblood of a site, but at least in my PPC experience, and it bleeds over to organic as well, your position can oftentimes mean that you maybe garner a lot of traffic, but it's not necessarily as qualified and thus performs a little bit worse. And the fact that, you know, for numerous clients that we've worked with on PPC, at least, particularly in Legion and some other verticals, being number one sometimes isn't worth the effort, to your point, mm-hmm. of coming up with campaigns, getting up to that point, or the, the cost investment in paying for those clicks, or in the case of SEO, trying to outbid or out content everyone else. Because 
yeah, we're getting a lot more traffic, but it's kind of garbage traffic. Or depending on the vertical that you're working on, sometimes people are doing a lot of comparison shopping and being the first stop doesn't necessarily mean that you're the end stop. You know, people want to absorb a couple other destinations or offerings before they make a choice. And oftentimes it's not you being first into the gate sometimes isn't a benefit. So not only with these sort of studies and traffic and click-through rates from SERPs do you need to pay attention to, but also how well is that traffic even converting? And is it going to be worth your efforts, which, you know, you can talk to a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll wrap this up really quickly with one, one more statistic that I'll throw at everybody before we move on to Facebook ad network. So I talked a little bit about, obviously there's a lot of changes with ads and what are the, all the other factors that sort of hit you and can influence click-through rates and search engine result pages. Another study done by the same company, which tried to take into account the effect of ads on click-through rates. So what's interesting is outside of the number one position, the effect of ads being on the page is virtually zero for every other position on the page. But if you are in the number one position in natural search with ads on the page, and this is going to be slightly different from the first numbers I was quoting you because that was only for the desktop. This includes everybody. So with ads on a page, you're seeing a click-through rate of roughly, this is on a chart here, so like 18%. Without ads though, you're seeing a rough click-through rate of about 26%. So there is a definite uh, decrease in click-through rates on organic results if you're in the number one position, if there are additional ads running on that page, which I guess, you know, if you look at it sort of this way, if you rank number one for keywords that don't have any ads running on them, either you found some keywords that, you know, are worth a lot and no one knows about, or it doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, I guess Mm -hmm. there's a way you could look at that. But anyway, enough on that. Let's talk about Facebook ad network. So I did want to mention this a little bit and that always glad when competition comes into the ad space just to put more pressure on Google. I mean, they have a huge lion's share of the audience, but I think one person dominating things as much as Google does sometimes can lead to you know, not necessarily the optimal condition for us as marketers right. or businesses. Unless you're the business dominating. True. But what I wanted to cover is this week, Facebook actually rolled out their audience network out to mobile apps. So what does this mean? You know, and I talked about it in the beginning that Facebook ad network saw some changes. What's happening now is you have the ability to leverage Facebook's targeting uh, within your mobile apps to serve up ads for publishers within mobile applications. And the benefit that people are seeing are, depending on the connectivity of your users that are navigating in these apps, you are allowed to target them on very specific criteria that sometimes goes way beyond what AdWords allows you to do. And you can know much more specifics about the audience that you're looking to target, and thus your performance can be much higher. The thing to keep in mind is with this change, you now have a greater reach to serve your Facebook ads. So if you found some very successful campaigns on the website itself, you now have the ability to span that out to mobile applications that have this tie into this network. So something to keep in mind, you know, a lot of businesses are always looking for more traffic or ways to get that higher reach out there. So just be mindful that Facebook has expanded its network out and you'll have some abilities to run some of their ads, your ads in other places, allowing you some greater targetability as well. I mean, we've seen some sort of mixed results with Facebook. I think a lot of that yeah. has to do with the vertical 
articles that you work within, I would caution people to break those campaigns out potentially separately if you can and just track them. Mobile applications can sometimes lend to some interesting visitors in the way of how long that they're staying engaged. I know with one of our side projects that we've worked on, traffic within apps can be highly engaged, but not necessarily commit to ultimate conversions in the way of sales or generating lead information, things of that nature. So just because they're interacting with your ads, just make sure that you're taking into account the long tail of those visitors because application users can be quite different. This is such a weird thing for Facebook ads, in my opinion. So there's a couple things here. You know, you just mentioned that it's a good idea to break these campaigns out. Uh, apparently you can't at this point. So Great. you can't just place ads on this new audience network. Basically, if you want to run ads to mobile newsfeed campaign type things, you get opted into this. Uh. In fact, it says, as a matter of fact, if you're already running a mobile news feed campaign, you're automatically opted into this new program. So everybody out there running Facebook campaigns, quick, <laughs> run to your Facebook ads account and check on those things because you may think that, you know, in the context of how you're running ads, that you're running them on Facebook when in actuality you aren't, right. you're running them on other people's apps, which is a bit of a scumbag move, I think, honestly, sure. in, yeah, in, yeah. in my opinion. I'm curious to see, it claims to use all of the sort of targeting options that Facebook uses, but I wonder how that works when you're on another app. Right, unless it requires them to use Facebook, the Facebook login. Yeah, the Facebook login. That's the only way I could. I Which guess I, I could see that. Working. I mean, I'm not a huge app user, but yeah, most of the ones. I. I mean, I don't. I'm not on Facebook. Period. But most of them, that is not like a hard requirement for using them. Mm -mm. So. Something else, and this is sort of unrelated, well, sort of related to this Facebook ads update, small Twitter ads update. For those of you running Twitter ads, they've for a while now had the ability to remarket to email lists or users that you've imported through a few different methods. So, But they never had the ability to exclude people on these sort of remarketing lists, which basically every other remarketing advertising program out there has always sort of allowed you to do. They've now released that ability. So as an example, I can set up a campaign inside Twitter to remarket to everyone who's been to my website and exclude people who have already purchased. So obviously right. that's going to make your remarketing campaigns perform a little bit better. In general, though, I've noticed, again, it, this is going to depend on your demographics, but for every roughly 100,000 user list that I upload to Twitter, and this is an email type list, I'm not using their website tracking tags for this specific example, but for every 100,000 emails I'll upload, I'll only see about 5,000 actual okay. remarketing opportunities on Twitter. So that's probably because this specific website targets a, an older demographic. But take that into consideration that just because you have a list of 100,000 emails doesn't mean there's 100,000 people on Twitter. This right. isn't Facebook, right? Everyone doesn't have an active Twitter account. So mm -hmm. anyway, that's enough about Twitter. All right. Stole the thunder from Facebook. Yeah. So that's enough on Facebook. But just keep in mind, first of all, that I think Rob makes a good point. If you do run Facebook ads on mobile in the news feed, that you're now being opted into this new program. So if you see your metrics being shooken up a bit, mm -hmm. keep that in mind. Which, interestingly enough, sorry to, mm -hmm. to sort of interrupt you there, but we actually just saw this. And I'm just now making this connection recently on a Facebook mobile campaign that we were running. We saw an explosion of traffic that was unexpected. Ah, uh -huh. 
Uh-huh. And we turned off mobile traffic because it seemed like it was mostly mobile and our traffic completely died off. So I wonder if this is, again, if you're running a Facebook ad campaign, definitely look into your stats, your recent stats, because I mean, this could be complete coincidence, but it seemed like something right. happened to some recent campaigns we were running. So. so just keep that in mind if you're running Facebook ads, particularly on the mobile side of things. All right. So the next thing we're going to be talking about, and Rob, you're going to enlighten us, attention minutes versus cost per impression. Mm-hmm. So let's decode that mystical headline and tell us what the details are on that. This one actually took me a bit of decoding myself just mm-hmm. to unwrap what the hell they were talking about in Shirking these articles. Up the beard. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've noticed some of these things come across my feeds lately as we've been researching topics for the podcast. Essentially, the concept is this, though, that when you purchase display advertising, you typically pay in a cost per impression type scenario, right? It's usually per thousand impressions mm-hmm. and you pay a, a rate. You know, you, right. you know, let's just say, for example, I pay $2 for every thousand impressions that my ad gets. And the impression tracking can be as crude as did your ad load on a page that someone visited mm-hmm. or was it actually shown on the screen for that visitor? So right. as an example, maybe maybe my ad is at the bottom of a page and even though someone visited that page, maybe they didn't actually see it. So this company called Chartbeat has been sort of, I think maybe from what I can gather, heading this new metric that they're calling attention minutes. And oh. instead of So instead of paying for impressions, I want to pay for how long my ad was on the screen Ah. instead of both CPM or CPC. So it's an interesting new twist on it. People are sort of, and I understand the concept that, so let me give you a couple quotes to sort of set the frame of where these Mm -hmm. people are coming from. So the idea, and this is a quote from someone from Ad Age, and they're basically saying, so this, this is the quote, time is the only unit of scarcity on the web. You've only got 24 hours a day per person. So what you've got is a constrained resource time that directly correlates with the goals of advertising. Just like any economy of scarcity, anyone who captures most of it can charge more. I think that now I haven't thought too much about this. I've thought a few hours. So that's, that's a lot. Maybe that's actually a lot. That's for a me, scarce right? resource. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but my initial thoughts on this, and maybe this is because I'm coming from a performance marketing background, is that I think they're missing the point. And that simply because, let's take an example. Let's just, like, let's break this down. So let's say I'm on the New York Times website and I'm reading an article and I'm actually reading the article. Right. The fact that there's a banner on the right-hand side that has been displayed on my screen while I've been, you know, it's scrolling with me or something. I've mm-hmm. been reading this article for 30 minutes. Let's say it's a long one. Just the fact that I've been seeing that ad for 30 minutes changes nothing about the fact that I'm not even looking at the damn thing. I'm actually reading the article. Right. So I think that they've sort of, there's got to be some sort of combination between Mm -hmm. this attention and actual engagement. And that's why, I mean, this is CPM got sort of faded out when everyone started cost per action type thing, the CPC type thing. It was like actual engagement is what I care about, not showing my ad to people because people have banner blindness. I think this is a step in the right direction from just pure CPM. But I don't know that this is better than CPC. I think to your point, I can see both sides of the coin. I mean, there's obviously a a decent body of scientific work based on exposure Mm -hmm. and driving decisions and the subconscious seeds that get planted and things of that nature. And I think that some advertisers are looking more for that, at least a mix of that type of advertising. You know, I, I think that for us... Oftentimes with our clients, we're solely focused on, like you mentioned, 
really strict performance. Whereas if I'm a company like Absolute or, you know, someone like that, a decent portion of my marketing campaign is going to be partly brand awareness and things of that nature, where maybe those firm clicks or things of that nature do not become as important. But to your point, I think that this attention or awareness type of metric starts to become more important than CPM necessarily. Especially, I want to know that at least if people aren't clicking on it, that it's in their eye path and they're getting some real estate dedicated to where they could potentially see this. Mm-hmm. And I think to the other side of the coin, I think that a lot of people don't give users enough credit for how accustomed we've been to ignoring things on websites. And you can see this very clearly if you run usability studies and watch people navigate sites, they become very accustomed to ignoring whole parts of your websites and banners and things of that nature. And so strictly relying on metrics like that, I think really discounts the intelligence of users and how accustomed they've been to navigating these online waters. And I think that you're right, there has to be some sort of mix there. And us as marketers, it presents an interesting challenge because we have to really think about this and dedicate a lot of time to how we're going to achieve that best mix. But I do like the steps that they're taking Mm -hmm. to try to flush out maybe something that's a little bit more thought through in a meaningful metric to pay attention to when you're looking at display type of advertising. Yeah, I mean, it seems almost like a direct throwback from old school, uh, like TV advertisements or radio advertisements, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I know how many minutes my commercial or radio advertisement ran, and I want to sort of apply that same sort of methodology to the internet. And I want to know how many minutes my ad was in front of someone's face. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe makes sense for the interstitial type ad, you know, which is so terrible. And so many large sites still take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think like Forbes or something, there's some, a few large business sites. A lot of content marketing. Damn it. Like I really have to wait for 10 seconds and watch this stupid ad. Like it really, in my opinion, those things work terribly. This is where we're getting off a little off track here, but those things work so terribly because I'm just looking in the right-hand corner waiting for the ticker to mm-hmm. tick down. Right. I don't care about your ad. It's similar to almost how YouTube has gotten at this point for sure. me. When I see a, waiting for that five a video <laughs> interstitial, it's like I'm just looking at the countdown five for before mm-hmm. I can click on skip ad. Sure, People, I think some of those things start to work in the beginning because they're new and novel. But as people get used to and accustomed to those things, they sort of lose their effectiveness. Well, and I think that we probably aren't target demographics for a lot of people, but I believe the reason why we're saying I don't have money to spend. No, I mean that (laughs) when I look at normal TV and things crafted for general audiences, they don't really appeal to me. But that aside, I think the reason why we're accustomed to that is because a lot of that type of marketing is executed so poorly and that it's not really that interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it would be one thing if a lot of companies dedicated time and came out with creative campaigns that I might be worth sticking around or watching, but they're just done so blandly or just so unoriginal that we've been accustomed to starting to start ignoring some of that. So I I do think it's a coupling effect of multiple things. Well, I think there's another interesting, and this is specifically about the YouTube ads and it's something I've, I've noticed in myself. It's that when I Google for a video or I'm on YouTube and I search for a video and I click on the video and 
it doesn't start out the way that I would expect that video to start, mm-hmm. meaning it's sort of an ad, I immediately stop paying attention. I'm just looking in the right-hand corner for the skip button. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, it's just become this program behavior right. where, and I think to your point, and it's like, you know, you need to make ads that are more engaging in that sort of scenario. You need to make ads that are way more relevant. Sure. Uh, and you need to target those in a better way. If I'm looking up car videos, you need to run car commercials. And maybe sure. that's it. And you can't run other types of commercials because I just completely tune them out. I'm looking mm-hmm. for a car video. Even if you've identified... So let's do an example. I know one person that does a lot of YouTube marketing is Crazy Egg. Mm-hmm. And you know they've obviously identified me as someone that's visited their blog and uh, used their service in the past. So they run a lot of YouTube advertisements. And to your point, I might be on YouTube looking for a car video. And video presents an interesting case where that's really kind of my sole focus why I'm coming to YouTube, especially on an entry from a SERP. And so even though I might have been a target demographic user or something like that in the past, that ad is just noise at this point based on the video that I'm watching. And again, I think this probably gets into the scientific body of work of, you know, what is the long tail of that or or planting that seed or things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a little bit more relevance work that needs to be done out there to better take advantage of some of those technologies. But long story short, I like this body of work and where they're trying to go with this. But I, I think to your point, we do need to come together with some sort of harmony and that this stuff is great to have awareness having it present in the viewport, people paying attention to it. But at the end of the day, if they're not really acting on it, then it solely becomes about awareness. And that's not necessarily appealing to a ton of marketers out there, especially in the online space. We expect some sort of measurability and just relying on this. Well, people saw it. That's oftentimes not good enough. So Mm -hmm. I, I do think this is a good maturity model for where CPM is at now and where it should go in the future. But I think we also don't need to lose sight of the actual performance of some of these ads. So. All right, so let's talk about a few Google updates okay. because Google is all important in everything we do online. It is true. They're listening right now. The machine, Google. One of the things that I think is very interesting, and I'm actually shocked at how many people still use this. So I'm going to do a call out here. This is a little bit of a rant. So I recently traveled, as I mentioned, to Vermont and New York City. I flew up with JetBlue. Very nice airline. Great customer service. <laughs> excellent legroom. Check-in email. Click it on to check in for my mobile device. Oh, what's that? It doesn't work. You have a flash site on a mobile device. What century are we in? This ties in to my first point and that Google is now rolling out. You might have noticed this actually if you do some searching on a mobile device. In some instances, Google will flash a warning and say, if you're using a mobile device, this site uses flash, it might not work on your device. Kind of a burn, but you should be investing in other technologies. Anyways, they're rolling that out worldwide now, and it is going to become present on many more searches. So if your company uses extensive flash, be mindful that you might start saying that your SEO traffic from mobile devices is going to start taking a dive because Google is going to be specifically warning those visitors. We'll tweet out a link so you can see what that looks like, but... I ran into this this morning. Okay. My little anecdote to your JetBlue one. You know, I'm looking at a new car. I had a check engine light in the car, so I'm looking up new cars. So it's between an Aston Martin Vanquish and a Ferrari. (laughs) 
Things with a beard marketers are great. <laughs> I'm Googling Ferrari. I get to, you know, I Google a car model of a Ferrari and I click on the, the top result and it's on the Ferrari website and mm-hmm. goes to a blank page because I'm assuming the entire thing is flash and you just right. get nothing. So that's an example of that. Google, why didn't you warn me? <laughs> yeah, come on, great. man. I Thanks. trusted you. Yeah. But along those lines, and I think this is a good segue. We had this somewhere else, but... Google is also discussing and saying that the possibility of user experience on mobile devices now becoming part of their ranking algorithm. Now, you might scratch your head a little bit or raise an eyebrow that, well, I think Google already assesses some mobile accessibility things as part of their algorithm. You would be correct. Page speed, things of that nature do come into account with Google's algorithm. What they're talking about is actually refreshing and overhauling their fetch bot and coming up with some guidelines of what they consider to be UX best practices. Because from Google's standpoint, at the end of the day, you have to realize when they serve up a site from their search engine results, that's sort of an extension of what they would recommend and inherently affects how people trust them as a brand. So what they're looking at is mobile is a huge growing and exploding market and web developers have been sometimes quite slow at adopting that and providing good experiences. So Google is talking about getting even more structured with their algorithm to assess your website to see, are your calls to actions big enough? Is your text readable? Are your menus clear? Are things starting to get clipped outside of viewports? things of that nature. So it's going to really task your development teams and you as a company to make sure that you've dedicated enough resources. And again, Google knows that they're getting a ton of traffic coming in from tablets, mobile devices, and they want to make sure that they're providing good recommendations to those visitors. So just keep that in mind. Again, we'll tweet out some more work on that. I did mention the Google bot, and I do want to drop this in case you didn't know. There is a tool in Google Webmaster Tools and it's called Fetch's Google Bot. And how this works is you can put in a website URL that you own and you can press Fetch. And what will happen is Google will pull in that page as it would fetch it as a bot and actually render it out on the screen. So you can see your site as Google sees it when it arrives. Very valuable tool if you're trying to troubleshoot things. Especially if you're trying to cloak. Exactly. (laughs) You can trick them. And you can call Rob for a better explanation (laughs) on cloaking. The other thing I did want to touch on, because this is a content strategy for a lot of people, understand that Google Quick Answer has been exploding recently. They've been serving it 98% more than they have in the past. What do we mean by this? You might have noticed when you search for things, in some instances, Google will return back a very specific answer for the query that you searched for that it's serving itself. Why I wanted to bring this up is that sounds like a great feature. What businesses need to be mindful of is a lot of companies rely on how-to explanation, definition, content pages to generate SEO traffic and traffic sources into their businesses. As Google gets better and better at understanding why people are searching for things and providing an answer, understand that might impact your traffic. So again, we'll tweet out a link for this so you can look at some of his examples, but you might want to really assess your SEO strategy. If you highly rely on these types of content pieces to drive traffic, that might be something that is going by the wayside. You might need to reassess how you're generating content for your company. Again, it's a great feature for us as end users of Google, but it could be negatively affecting your business in the long run. That's going to do it for us on this episode. Wow. What, I, I mean, mean, we wow. just covered the My whole thing. My mind game, is man. blown right now. <laughs> so... Thank you so much for your time. We would give you two homework pieces. One, 
leave us a rating on whatever medium you found us on, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher Radio, whatever channel you're listening to us on, leave us a rating. Greatly help us not only grow the show, but know what we need to do to make it even better. Also, share with a friend, a colleague, or as Rob would say, a lover, perhaps. You can also contact us if you have an idea for the show or you're struggling with something. Maybe you listen every week and go, those beer guys are pretty smart, but they didn't think about this. Or you're just really struggling getting something down or you don't know where to turn. Give us a call, 904-270-9603. You can leave us a voicemail or text us directly. You can leave us a line at thebeardmarketers.com slash contact, or you can reach out to us on Twitter. We're active on all those different channels. But thank you again so much for your time. We enjoyed ourselves and we'll see you next week. Gia. Yeah.